Blog Talk Radio. Good morning. This is Get Your Kids Back Now. I'm attorney Vince Davis. This show is dedicated to keeping families together and to fighting the tyranny of CPS and DCFS social workers. A secondary purpose of the show is to educate parents and relatives so that they can know where to get the information that they need. A third purpose of the show is to get people together and band together so that they can vote. Voting can change laws. It can change judges here in California. So we need to band together and vote for those who support families. Good morning. I'm on the show today, and we're going to talk about um, a couple of things. I'm doing a series of short videos that are going to be posted on uh, social media on my webpage for my law office. And the videos are going to focus on basic tips for litigants who are in the juvenile dependency courts trying to get children back, and also for people who want to sue social workers for violations of civil rights. So today I'm going to give you a tip and... um, I want to say I want people to watch out for a iPhone and Android app that we're developing that's going to help you in your DCFS case, that's going to help you in your case against social workers. Um, I'm inspired by a, a lawyer who developed an app, a friend of mine. Uh, she launched it this weekend at the Cala Convention in Las Vegas. The Cala Convention is a big, uh, I think it's the biggest nationwide uh, seminar and gathering of plaintiffs' attorneys in the world. And anyway, uh, this attorney, a friend of mine, her name is Jeannie Harrison. She's an expert in uh, the law in bringing sexual harassment cases, especially for uh, police officers, female police officers and firefighters, uh, female fighter, firefighters. And she developed an app to assist her clients in preparing cases for trial. And I, I had that type of idea in, with respect to CPS cases and civil rights cases against social workers. So watch for that app. I've been drawing that out and, and ever since I heard Jeannie was uh, debuting her app, um, I'm going to get on it and do my app that will help uh, litigants in the CPS world. One of my first uh, videos that I want to talk about today, and it's so important, Um, It's one of those things that's kind of overlooked in the juvenile dependency process when you go to the juvenile court and you're, you know, trying to get your child back. You may not be told this by your attorney or your court-appointed attorney, but you have the right to change judges. A lot of people don't know that, and and this thing occurred this week with a person who came to my office. Let me tell you the story. A woman came to my office, and I read the paperwork. And the funny thing was the social workers were recommending that the child be returned to the mother at the very first hearing. Now, this this is an unusual thing. The social workers came out, detained the child, and then two or three days later, court days, they have a hearing in the juvenile court before a juvenile judge. And at this hearing, 
according to the client, I wasn't there, the judge made some disparaging remarks about the case and about my client. Now, knowing this particular judge, um, I found that kind of surprising. But some of the wording and phrasing that the client used did remind me of things that this judge says sometimes. And, you know, I've always known this judge to be, you know, a fair judge who's trying to protect children, but also trying to help families at the same time. But be that as it may, the, the judge, according to the client, detained, kept the child detained from the mother and allegedly made statements that showed to the mother that the judge wasn't fair about this case and, you know, there were some things that happened that uh, apparently the judge didn't like. And then after the hearing, the case was continued to the next court dates, which are in this particular courtroom, what they call a receipt of report date, and then there's a trial maybe a week later regarding the allegations, whether they're true or false, and then a disposition hearing uh, to determine even if the allegations are true, can the child be returned to the parent? Well, the first thing that I realized was that in, in California law, there is a code section, and it's and you can go ahead and Google this for yourself. It's California Code of Civil Procedure. CCP is what they, lawyers call it. CCP, and Google will know CCP. And it's section 170.6. 170.6. Now, let me tell you the background of this. So any California litigant at any, well, at the beginning of the case, or when they first, has 10 days to uh, file what's called a one-page affidavit. And most counties have their own form. You can get it from the clerk. And it's called the 170.6 affidavit. And all you have to do is fill in the judge's name and sign it. And you file that with the clerk, and you get a new judge. So I'll give you an example. Let's say I file a civil case in downtown Los Angeles. Or better yet, I file a family law case in downtown Los Angeles. And it's assigned to judge XYZ. And I determine for this case that, hmm, I don't really want judge XYZ to hear this case. I discuss it with the client, of course, and we have 10 days to pick another judge. Okay, before we make an appearance. Now, in juvenile court, the rule used to be you had 10 days from the date that you first uh, struck it. You had to file the 170.6 before the judge heard the first hearing, which was the detention hearing. And a lot of people filed the 170.6 and the case is sent off to another judge. Now, there is a there's kind of a bad part about all of this. You don't get to pick the judge who the case is sent to. So, you know, you can go from the frying pan into the fire. So a lot of people sometimes stick with the judge they have. But a case, an appellate case, came down in California that said, if you do the detention hearing in front of the judge, 
you still have 10 days to file the affidavit and get a new judge. Well, in this particular case, I told you about the, the client alleged that the judge had made some impartial comments and comments that the client felt weren't fair. And if it were true, you know, that was there, I'd have to agree. So I recommended that the client file a 170.6 affidavit. And when I was talking to her, it was day eight. She only had two more days to file it. And so she filed it on her own. She, I, I'm not representing her at this point. And apparently, according to the client, the clerk of the court refused to take it. So she texts me and calls me, and I say, well, you know, ask for the supervisor. Uh, tell him that, you know, Vince Davis, you talk to Vince Davis, and Vince Davis says that you can file it because 10 days haven't expired. Make a long story short, she gets it filed that day. Everything's fine. She's getting a new judge. Uh, and in her particular case, um, she got, you know, fairly lucky. She got a judge who I think is one of the fairer judges in the building. And so I hopefully things will work out all right. So that's one of the tips I wanted to tell everyone. CCP 170.6. Use it. Use it in conjunction with speaking to your attorney that's assigned to your case. And, you know, because it's a little tricky sometimes, you can go from the, fry, the frying pan into the fire. You know, and you might feel kind of stupid is the wrong word, but, you know, you might make a mistake in filing a 170.6 in some cases. Right now, I see we're getting backed up on our call wins. I'm going to take the first call. It's from area code 310, ending in 73. Good morning. You're on with Attorney Vince Davis. Did you have a story to tell or a question to ask? Hello, yes. Good morning. How are you? I'm fine here, so. Good, I can barely um, hear you. Are, you. are you talking in, right directly into the speaker on your phone? Well, I had your own speaker. I'm sorry. Um, I have a question. I would. I have a DCF open case right now. I have three young daughters. The case started off with them opening up a case because of my, I have a teenage daughter that's basically out of control. She, I never really raised her. Um, she got taken from me as a child, and she was grew up. She grew up with her father, and I call myself going back to help her because, you know, I think a girl needs her mother. So I call myself getting custody of her, doing everything for her. Everything was going great. She got up at age and decided that she didn't, didn't want to be here. She wanted to go back with her father. So she went back with her father. I let her allow to go back to her father. She went over there, and she made up a story that I broke her arm. The police came to my house, took my other daughters. I already had an open DCFS case prior so they came in they took my daughters they ooh, I'm sorry so mom they took my daughters and the judge told me that I had to come to court within the next two weeks I said okay I was under under the the circumstances thinking that I'll get my daughters back in my custody within the two weeks because they had no legal grounds to take my daughters they didn't even give me no excuse of why they took my daughters 
So I go to court. They said that I broke my daughter's arm. Um, blase, blase. I'm trying to show them that, you know, I'm not this type of mother. I would never put my hands on my daughters. My daughters are spoiled. They're on the road. They're, you know, they're good kids. For say, I, I spend a lot of time at my at my PTA meetings. I'm at everything that goes with, goes wrong with my daughters. If they're in a fight, if anything's going on with them, I'm right there. Um, and it's kind of hard having five kids to try to be there for all of them. But I was there. Um, they end up taking my daughters from me. Um, I I had to go to court for like a month straight, basically. Um, when I went for a month straight. You know, they couldn't find my teenage daughter. She didn't appear in court for a whole month, so they had me come back every day of the week until they found my teenage daughter. And I explained to the judge, like, if you guys really want me to go get her, I'll go get her. They said, let them do it they way. I'll let them do it they way. I, I went to court for two months every day for two months, and they couldn't find this child. Apparently, they found her in the class. I guess they found her ditching. They found her. They brought her to court. She comes to court and said that I was um, mistreating her and giving her marijuana. The judge never heard my part. Automatically, he told me that I'm losing my daughters, come back in six months. Didn't even give me a chance to explain myself. You know, didn't even understand that, you know, she's a teenager. She's going through adolescence. She's torn in between the two. You know, her father really don't want her. When I have her in my custody, you know, he comes and he calls social service. He does everything just to make them unhappy, you know, and I'm just trying to do what's right. Um my daughters right now are with Mexicans. They're in a foster home. You know, I don't talk to the social worker. Um, she doesn't answer. She's supposed to have me testing. I'm testing, and when I get to the testing place, they don't have my name on the list. I call her. She doesn't answer. I've been calling for under-monitored, un- you know, overnight visits. I've done my anger management classes. I've done my AA classes. I've done everything that the judge ordered me to do. And from the beginning of the case, the judge never ordered me to do nothing but anger management because I was anger about the situation that, you know, you guys are hearing out these kids, but you guys are not hearing me out. You know, here it is. My daughters are been gone for a year, lost, they lost so much weight, they're unhappy, and I can't even get overnight. The social worker is not answering the phone. I'll call the, the supervisor. I'll call the I called the social worker, I go, I pop up down there, I get nowhere, you know, and I feel like it's un, unfair, you know, how I go from taking care of my daughters every day or waking up to my daughters being this great mom and they're in honor roll and they're doing what they're supposed to do to absolutely nothing. I don't, I rarely get to see them. They're with a Hispanic family, which I have no problem with them being with them, but I rarely talk to them. I only get, I suppose to get four hours a week, I mean, four, two days a two days a week and four hours a day to visit them and I only get two hours a week. And that's if the caregiver wants to do it. You know, um, I've been trying to fight and argue with the social worker to try to remove them from where they are to go to their grandmother. It's been two months and the case still haven't been assigned to no one. You know, I filed the appeal. No one, you know, it's two, it's what, two months away from my original court date. So I filed the appeal. No one re- they never uh, filed the appeal in April. They never responded on the appeal. They said they had 30 days to appeal the case, but I'm not getting anywhere. You know, I called my lawyer auntie many times. I got a pro bono lawyer, a lawyer that they assigned to me. And the crazy part about it is when I was in court, my lawyer was talking about getting high. And my right hand got on my kid's life. She was telling me that she can't wait to get out of here to hit her weed pen. And it's like you're talking about getting high and my kids are at stake. Right then and there, I knew it was bullcrap, but 
they don't listen to us black mothers. They really don't care. And I feel like as if I'm a good mother, you know, my daughter is going to college. It's not a lot of black women out here saying that their daughters are trying to make it to college. You know, I, I, I'm a good mother. You know, I try the best. It's in society, it's, it's nothing stating that, you know, as, as black women, that we're less majority than the Mexican, you know, are we're, they're better than us. And, it, and it's so unfair. I watched a, a Hispanic lady go before me, and she was going through the same thing I went through, and they granted her kids. And she had a restraining order against her husband. Her husband was beating the mess out of her, broke the kid's arm and everything. And my situation is not even like that. My situation was based on a, a kid, a teenager lying, you know, and I, did, I, I got nowhere, you know. Where is your Hello. case? What county? It's in um, Monterey Park. Okay, so that's the main juvenile court in Los Angeles County. Do you know what Correct. courtroom number you're in? Um, I believe it's with the department 417 or 410, I believe. I know my judge name is Judge Diaz or something like that. He's okay, in the corner on the... Sorry. I think that's four, four nineteen. Are you on the fifth floor? The fourth floor, any? The fourth floor, all the way to the corner, to the left. I want to say. To the left. Or to Once the you get right? off the no, when you get off the the elevator, it's to the right. So you just okay. keep straight. Yeah, the last door. So you that would be Commissioner Marpet. Does that sound familiar? Say it one more time. Sorry. That sounds like you're in Department 410, Commissioner Marpet. Yes. So do you have a pen? I'm going to give you some things to do, okay? One second. Let me call it. I'm looking for a pen. I think I got a highlighter. Okay, I have one. Okay. This is the first thing that I want you to do. I want you to send an email to your court-appointed attorney. Okay. And request that they have a meeting with you. Okay. And so that you can discuss your case. Okay. Okay. In that in that discussion, I want you to talk about what was the case plan the judge ordered and review with your attorney whether you are doing that case plan. And if you are, suggest to the attorney that you'd like to discuss the possibilities of filing what's called a 388 petition, also yeah, known me. as the date. I'm sorry? I'm sorry. I'm writing it down. I'm sorry. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you discussed filing a, it's also known as a JV-180 form, but you should talk to your attorney and decide whether you have the basis to file that form, 
that petition. And in that form and petition, you can ask the judge several things. Number one, you can ask the judge to return the children home to you. You can ask the judge to give you more visitation in terms of frequency per week and duration, you know, the length of the visit itself. So if you're only having two visits a week, you could ask for five visits a week. If you're only having visits for one to two hours, you could ask for visits, you know, eight hours, ten hours a day. You can also ask in that form for the judge to give you overnights and weekends with the children. Okay. And you can also ask the judge to place the children with family. Now, this is one of my favorite topics. Uh, I was raised by my paternal grandmother and grandfather, so this topic is near and dear to me. So the law is is that, you know, children should be placed with relatives or close family friends where possible. And in so many cases I hear that children aren't placed with relatives and close family friends. So here's the, the general requirement of the close of the relative and the close family friend. Number one, that they be an adult, 18 years of age or older. I didn't say 21. I didn't say 25 or 30. It's 18 years of age or older. Number two, that the person probably not have a recent criminal path. And I don't have to explain that. We all know that they don't want to place with people who have been convicted of crime, serious crimes in the recent past. All right? Okay. The third requirement is, and it's not really a requirement, it's just informational. This person can live anywhere in the world. So that includes in Los Angeles County, in San Francisco County, in Arizona, in Florida, in Maine, in Europe, in Mexico, in Germany, in Italy, in China. Okay, so I said anywhere in the world. Okay. And one of the strategies one of the strategies that I use and that my office uses is I ask clients who have children in foster care, even if they're in relative care, because sometimes, you know, you place with relatives and uh, the relatives turn out to be worse than foster care, is to make a list of 25 people who could take your children. And I didn't say would take your children, who could take your children. And give mm-hmm. that list to the social worker via email and tell him or her, I want all of these people investigated to see if they can take care of one or more of my children. Now, these are relatives by blood or marriage and close family friends. I just didn't say relatives. I said and close family friends. Sometimes close family friends are closer to the children than relatives. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Okay. So, you know, you have that close family friend who's, you know, basically a sister to you, but she's not related by blood or marriage. But your children know that person. Right. I heard in in talking to you, you mentioned something about your mother. So, you know, the maternal grandmother is one of those relatives who has preference under the law. 
to get the children placed with them. So there is no reason why there is no reason why that your children shouldn't be placed with your mother. And the crazy part about it is she already had them under her care. Um, I just got them back probably two, three years prior, you know, so I don't understand the reason why they didn't want to send them to her from the beginning. And they said because of she's in a different county, it'll be kind of hard. No, it's not hard at all. The reason why a lot of people theorize that they don't want to place with relatives especially relatives outside the county of Los Angeles, is because the county of Los Angeles loses some type of funding for places placing children outside the county. The money for all of this, this federal and state money that supports this entire system, follows the child. So when hmm. they place a child in, in another county, another county or state has to supervise the child and they get the money from the federal government and from the state, not Los Angeles County. So, you know, I hear that all the time. Oh, I have a relative in, you know, up north in uh, Kern County or up north in Shasta County or down in San Diego County, and the social worker doesn't want to place with that relative. Well, the reason is the social worker loses control to another social worker in that county and they lose federal and state funding. So it doesn't have anything to do with that relative being, you know, uh, an appropriate place for the child. It has more to do with money. The grandmother went and the grandfather on his dying bed recently, we just lost the grandfather two weeks ago. He signed his rights and did everything he's supposed to do, and the lady just rushed him off and said, hey, when we find a social, when we, when, when a a case get assigned to a social worker, then we'll let you guys know. So the grandfather basically died, you know, trying to get his granddaughters. And they still haven't assigned a case to no one. And it's been over two months. Okay, so what I what I think you need to do is I think you need to have that grandparent call me as soon as possible. Okay. And I'll be able to help her get the grandchildren placed with her. I'm going to give you the telephone number to call, 888-6582. So that's 888-6582. Call that number. You can call it today. My office will be open around 930 a.m. 888-6582. Yeah, 888-888. Well, there's 6-8s. And the last four number is? 6582. Six five eight eight two. Six five eight two. Okay, so it's triple eight six five eight two. Okay, her name is Anita. I have her call you. Her name is what? Anita Clark. And what time do you want her to call you? Any time after nine thirty, my office will be open. Um, I okay. may have, I, I think I have a meeting at that time, but she can leave her name and number and I can call her back. Okay. By the okay, way, I believe um, met my, with you before regarding this case. Okay. By the way, my producer just held up a sign to me. She wanted me to explain to you and to the audience the importance of using emails when communicating with your social worker and your attorney. 
Mm-hmm. Emails, emails um, are they live forever. Okay. They're proof of communications between the two two people, or more than two people. Sometimes if I call you and I tell you blah blah blah, you might forget what I said. You might forget what I called. You might think I said A B C when actually I said X Y Z. The same is true for communicating with attorneys and with social workers. So when possible, communicate via email, not via phone. Okay. Okay? All right. Okay. Thank you, very, thank you very thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening and we'll uh see you next week on the radio. Okay, thank you. Okay, that was an interesting call. Um had a lot going on in that case. Hopefully uh, the grandmother will call me and we can help the children get back placed with the family. All right, I'm going to take another call from area code 323 ending in 41. Good morning. You're on with attorney Vince Davis. Did you have a story to tell or a question to ask? Um, Yes, I have a story to tell. Um, Go ahead. I just had a recent uh, DCFS case closed on August 15th, and um, last uh, Monday they passed. Um, I uh, get a phone call while I'm at work, and um, it's um, my you know my baby's mother, and she's calling me up, and she says, "Well, I got two social workers here knocking on the door, and they want to come in the house." I had already taken my kids to their daycare, and um, and I'm sorry, it's just, it's just uh, so overwhelming to me now because, um, you know, I have to go through this again and this is going to be the third time I go through it, if if I go through it. Um, they're saying that they want to come into the house and they want to see the baby. And she's like, well, I can't let you in because there's no one here and um, I'm about to leave to go to my class. Um, she's going to class right now um, because uh, of the first case or I guess the two previous cases we were at had um, for um, her NA class. And so she was leaving and they're telling her, okay, well, you're not going to comply. You have to go um, do a, a drug test and and um, we have another report on you because they're saying that um, you're, uh, um, there's a drug use at, at the house still and uh, um, you're abusing uh, your kids. And they, so I talked to her on the phone. She gave me the phone. And so I talked to the social worker. She was saying that she couldn't give me any information, right? So um, she said, okay, well, you have to go test on Thursday. And and so I was like, you know, what, what you know, who, you know, why, you know? So then um, Thursday comes, I go to, to um, go test. And, you know, I felt kind of harassed, you know, because I had just finished closing the case on the 15th of, of, of August. And now I didn't, they're saying that I got another report and they're making me do all this, you know, all this over again. I want to know what I can do about this. I'm, I I can't go through this a third time, you know. It's really tough on my okay. kids. And, and... Okay, I'm going to tell you exactly what you can do and what you shouldn't do. Okay. All right, first of all, when when the case is closed, that means there's no more court jurisdiction. 
if another report is made regarding the child and they come knocking at your door, guess what? You don't have to answer it unless they have a warrant. Now, in this case, you didn't mention a warrant, so I'm going to assume that they didn't have a warrant. Right. Next, next, since the case is closed, they can never make you take a drug test. Never. Wow. They can't, they can't even get a warrant to make you take a drug test. Oh, my God. Now, if the case were, if the case were open and there was a judge reviewing and presiding over your case, you might have to do that drug test. But if your case is closed, the social worker can never, ever make you drug test. Now, he or she oh, may talk God. to you. She or she may talk to you like you have to drug test. They may even threaten to open the case and take the child away from you if you don't drug test. But you don't have to drug test. Well, oh, I, I I did anyways because you know I I'm a single dad of and, and, and she didn't really, um, she didn't. Go ahead. Yeah, so she, so she also refused to disclose any information to my baby's mother about the allegations. And these are obviously false allegations uh, by someone we don't, we don't even know who it is yet. But um, these allegations were false. Um, I wanted to explain to the social worker they disclosed, that they had just closed my case on the 15th. And the reason why they closed the case on the 15th was because Everything was going great, you know. Everything, you know, the, the the judge wanted us to do, we did it, you know. And you know, they're they're accusing me of of doing drugs, and, and and the reason why the judge gave me full custody of my children was because the beyond a reasonable doubt, they they knew that I wasn't doing anything wrong, you know, and I wasn't abusing my kids or anything. They're in a safe place, you know. We have a, I I mean, they live in a great home with me, and and they're perfectly healthy, you know. It's just so overwhelming, you know. I understand. You know, part of my practice, we represent people who are dealing with DCFS and CPS but don't have an open case. If you want to get more information about that, give me a call at 888 and we can discuss it further in detail. But I'm telling you Absolutely. now, legally... You don't have to do anything right now, and that includes wow. talking to the social worker. You don't even have to talk to the social worker. But thank you for mm-hmm. calling in today. I appreciate the call. Please listen thank next week on the radio me. to the show. Okay. All right, the next call that I'm going to take is from area code 626, ending in 90. Good morning. You're on with Attorney Vince Davis. Did you have a story to tell or a question to ask? Good morning, Mr. Davis. Um, I'll share my story today. Go ahead. Mm. Uh, my case started about two and a half years ago, and it originally started with uh, my mother and my stepfather calling in DCFS and reporting that I was uh associating with my ex, who was a known substance abuser. And uh, the case started basically 
they wanted to uh, have an investigation meeting. And after the investigation meeting, they decided to uh, open up a court case. I can't remember exactly if she said if I wanted to voluntarily open it um, or if it started by their choice. I remember some type of volunteer effort, some type of question was asked. And I think that's where I kind of messed up by voluntarily opening it. Basically meant I, I agreed to signing on to this. Now, I didn't even know what that meant. So when they when they opened it up and they went to court, they said I needed to come in. It was the original hearing. Um, and on that original hearing day, I was in the hospital and I wasn't able to make it into court. So when I missed court, I made sure that I called the, the attorney that was representing me. And she said, you should be fine. Don't worry about missing court today. She said, uh, I'll let you know what happens later on in the afternoon. And so I got a call later that afternoon, and she said, well, I'm sorry to tell you this, but they're detaining your children. I said, what? Why? What was the reason why? And she didn't have any answers. She sounded like she was just a dingy person that didn't even know law. And I said, no way, this can't be happening. I said, when is this uh, When is this supposed to happen? When are you supposed to take my kids? She said, immediately. She said, sometime today. And so I called my mother up and I said, Mom, is that possible? Can we take your children without even hearing you out? And she said, I don't know if that's even legal. So I said, well, hell, I'm not going to be there to turn my kids in. I'm leaving. She goes, you can come over here. Come on, we'll figure it out. And so I packed the kids a bag, and meanwhile, the social workers called me and said they were on their way. And I said, yeah, okay, sure. I played it off, and then I packed the kids a bag, and we left. And um, I got a couple of phone calls from my best friend, and she said, oh, they're going to be looking for you, Steph. They're really upset. And I called them back up, and I said, look, I left because I'm not just going to give you my children, and I don't know why. I want some answers. I want some kind of an explanation where they're going to go in the meanwhile, what's going to take place. And it just seemed like one big, like, rush, rush job. And I said, no, if you guys can't give me an explanation, then forget it. You're going to have to find me. And they said, well, if you turn our kids in now, we'll place them with one parent, one foster family. If you don't turn them in now, we'll split them up. And I said, what is that, a threat? I said, I don't know. This ain't no negotiation. I said, you're not taking my kids now. I don't like the way you operate. And so it just seemed, it just seemed like a dream. And I left, and, and I was gone for about two weeks. And uh, my mom got phone calls from people from DCFS asking if I was there. And she kind of hinted that I was there, but she didn't really and uh, she said, well, Steph, they're going to come over here, so I don't know what you want to do. And I said, well, I'm going to get an attorney. And she said, okay. So I left her house, and I went to a girlfriend's house uh, in Moreno Valley. And I stayed there for about two days, and then I got a phone call saying, if you don't turn those kids in, you're going to have two felony kidnapping charges and an Amber Alert. So at that point, I said, all right, I'm coming. 
I'm not going to, like, run from the lot, like, on that level. And uh, they got the best of me there. They took me into custody, and they took my kids, and they split them up. My son was, uh, let me mention that one of my children was two, and the other one was four. And my four-year-old has autism, and they placed him with a Hispanic family in Long Beach. And then Noah was my two-year-old. They had him in some kind of a holding center for 30 days without even a home. It was just some kind of like place where they gather kids that don't get placed. And uh, I would probably say that was the worst 30 days of my life. I got two visits with Elijah, um, my four-year-old. My and both times that I got to see him, the Hispanic lady said, Oh, he's so busy. He's so busy. And he was medicated. I could tell. He was uh, he was doped up on something because as soon as I saw him, he said, Mommy, and he held me, and he fell asleep during the whole hour visit. And um, um, for Noah, I didn't get to visit him at all, but I'll speed through that part. This is all emotional stuff that I had to deal with, but Mainly, in a nutshell, the judge ordered that if I wanted to keep my kids, I had to place them with my mom, who was the only person who qualified under the life scan. And my mom took the boys, and I moved in with her to Moreno Valley, which meant I gave up my job. I gave up the place where I was living. Uh, Pretty much, like, my whole life stopped. I moved out of the county. They said... Like the same lady that had uh, called in earlier, uh, yeah, she didn't receive any benefits because she was out of county. All of this came out of her own pocket, which she didn't mind. And um, I, it wasn't so much that it was needed. It was just the fact that it wasn't offered. So uh, at that point... <clears throat> The judge ordered that I was that I had to stay there with my mom and take care of the boys while she was working. She worked at home, and in a matter of maybe two to three weeks, she said, I can't take all this noise because she works from home. She said, you know, you're going to have to get rid of one of those boys. I go, where? To whom? And she goes, put them back where they had, where they had them the first time, the foster care family. I guess there was a foster dad that, that had came in a week or two prior to us getting him back. And there's a nice gay couple out of um, San Gabriel Valley. And so my mom basically said, I can't have both of those boys here. They're too rambunctious. So uh, the the case went on. I finished the case plan. Uh, In the process, I lost. My storage, my Lexus, I just, everything went to shit. And um, the only way for me to get my kids back at this point, after two years of doing everything, was for me to have my own place and for me to have my own job. And I had to leave my mom's house voluntarily so I could try to get my stuff together. And I came back down here and stayed with my girlfriend. And in a matter of three months, I had my own place and my own job. And I was enrolled in school. And so the case would have probably closed sooner if I hadn't chose to go to school. But it, it delayed a lot of therapy appointments, and they kept dragging it out and dragging it out. 
But ultimately, there, there was no violations in the whole case. I don't know why it went on that long. But when I finished school, I went to show the judge, hey, I'm done with my anger management. I mean, I'm sorry, scratch that. The anger management's new. I had parenting and domestic violence classes that I had to do. I finished those, finished off my certificate, and that was it. And the case didn't close. Well, my mother and I were at on good terms anymore. We're just bickering and fighting all the time. And um, that, that bickering and fighting really ruined it for me because uh, the month that the case was supposed to close, her and I got into an altercation at my son's birthday party, and that altercation turned into another allegation of me I guess neglecting my children, it was called neglect, because I exposed them to a fight between my mother and I. I don't know. They, that Section 600, uh, whatever the code is for neglect, it's so vague. I mean, a lot of things fall into that bracket. And did I neglect my children? No. But I sure got placed in that category, and now i got another open case based off of that. So this is now, we're going on three, supposed to be three and a half, four years of my life having to deal with these folks. And honestly and truthfully, does take a lot out of you. Like the caller had said before me, it was, it, they drain you. It's, it's too much to have. You can't move forward when you have that, it's like sitting on your back. And that's my frustration and trying to get this case closed as soon as possible because I, I don't feel that I should have to do all this stuff over again. That's about, you know, that's about where I'm at. Well, thank you for sharing your story with me. Um, mm-hmm. When is your next court date? Um, I have court on the 10th of next month. You know if that's a trial or if that's just a hearing date? That would be the pre-trial. The pre-trial is on the 10th, and then the actual trial is on the 19th. Since and the fight I with re- your mother. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, go ahead. Uh, you said since the fight with my mom? Since the fight with your mom, have you been participating in all of the services ordered by the judge? Now, I looked on my paperwork. I don't have any services that are ordered. The recommendation by DCFS was that I take anger management classes, but it is not court-ordered. The only court-order is still that, that... Pardon? Are you taking anger management classes? Um, I have not signed up for anger management classes. I got a referral from my therapist yesterday, and I have their phone number. And it's a free course. And uh, I called them up, and they said they I needed to come on Mondays and Wednesdays at 1 o'clock. And it was kind of like an AA meeting type of a deal where they sign your paperwork and, and you sign in, and you get at least a form a court that says you attended a group anger management. I'm not sure if that qualifies with the court, but it's an effort 
because BCFS didn't give me any recommendations or referrals. May I suggest that you uh, go ahead and enroll that class, attend that class, uh, mm -hmm. at least until your court hearing on the 19th? Yes. Okay, now, now this trial that takes place, are they going to give me my kids back after the trial? You know, that's a very difficult question to answer. Um, at these review hearings, they must return the children to you by law unless the social worker can prove by a preponderance of evidence that you're still a risk to the child or the children. Mm -hmm. When you don't finish the court-ordered classes, uh, and I say court-ordered, not social worker um, recommended, uh, there is a presumption that returning the children to you would cause a risk. So one of the things that you're going to have to prove, you and your attorney, is that you've done all the court-ordered counseling and classes and further, you know, prove that your visitation with the children uh, has been consistent and has been, good, you know, good. Well, here, can I mention one more thing? On the sure. last visitation that I had, with both of the boys, Elijah ran and mm -hmm. bumped his head on the wall, and he got a bruise on his eye. And the, the DCFS uh, ordered that the children be taken to forensics for investigation of child abuse. And mm -hmm. I had a witness at my door that witnessed it. It happened to be a lady from the church who's a principal of the school. And my attorney has all of her information, and she will be called as a witness. But it's these type of, of ignorant things that DCSS does to try to take your children further away from you. It's just frustrating. I know. You know, I want to thank you for calling in and sharing this morning. Um, okay. I wish you luck with your, with your hearing, and hopefully your children will be returned to you very soon. Yes, indeed. Thank you very much. Okay, we're running out of time this morning. I'm going to take one last call. Uh, it's area code 562, ending in 9-3. Good morning. You're on with attorney Vince Davis. Did you have a story to tell or a question to ask? This morning, are you talking to me? Yes, I am. Okay. Um, well, I don't know. Yes, but I have a couple of questions. Well, I've been following you for the last four years. And I just want to see how Los Angeles County here, I want to see how they don't have no accusations against me, but how can they take the mother and the father's rights with no, you know, with no, you know, evidence? Um, nothing never happened in my house, okay? This is the principal and stuff, and the caretaker is a niece. Now, the caretaker has these kids that's been dealing with the CPS or whatever. How is she able to be gone out of town for a whole 45 days, leave her kids, leave the kids that she's pretty good, temporary guardianship of, like guardianship, they make it seem like she's like I lost my rights and she, you know, has full custody of my kids. They're letting her do whatever she wants to do. And I'm really not understanding how... This juvenile court system out here is really allowing this to happen. When I have grandchildren 
and other children. So it's not like it's a risk. They got any accusations. I mean, you can, you know, I thought it was against the law to lie on on reports and, you know, and actually let it, you know, slide for four years. Well, it is against the law to lie in reports to the court. Social workers who do that uh, could be criminally prosecuted, but also could be sued for civil rights violations. Um, are your children placed with someone who has guardianship over them? Yeah, my niece got temporary guardianship. So the CPS people, what they did was they tried to close my case out and give her temporary guardianship. Now, do it. And is so, that what they did? Yeah, on July the 5th. Then she's been out of state. She opened up businesses. Her and her boyfriend, hers, they didn't open up two different businesses, you know, um, one in one in the state of Indiana, one here. And before they got my children, they were they didn't have no means of, you know, no money. Like, you know, like I'm telling these social workers, like, these people couldn't afford to take care of my kids if they wanted to. I was already feeding them. They were coming to my house to eat. And for you to sit up there and take my kids and remove them over there because you thinking that's okay. Well, I didn't place my kids over there. I never gave them the okay to place my kids over there. They went behind the judge's back and got an order signed for my other two kids to be removed. Well, like I told them, I wasn't giving them up because they had no no proof of anything that they said. Medical neglect, okay, for medical neglect, I can see if a doctor called or, you know, what is the legal limit for you to medically neglect your kids? Because he goes to the doctor at least four or five times out of the year. So where is that medical neglect at? Well, did you were you afforded at an an attorney a court appointed attorney in your case? I had I had about seven or eight different court appointed attorneys. They they have juked my case around you know so many times. So I didn't have several different judges. I mean, they didn't change my social worker. Now this social worker at the end. I mean, basically he just told me. He wasn't gonna. He wasn't gonna give me my kids back, and he didn't care if I didn't get my kids back or not. And that was that. And so far, he's running the show, and he has no proof. Like I said, my son gets in-home supported services. So if the provider and the caretaker, you both, you guys are out of state, you guys are collecting this government money. Where? I mean, come on. Where's? Where does the law really lie? What I would like to do with you and for you is. If you get a copy of your entire case file, I'd be willing to review it for you and see if I can make any suggestions. If you've had a case for four years that's been open, um, I'm sure there is a lot that's gone on, and you know we can't cover it all here in a one-hour radio show. But if you can get those documents and give me a call at my office, um, I'd be willing to sit down with you and go over it with you. My telephone number is for my office is... 888-888-6582. So if you're willing to do that, I'd be willing to help you. I'd be willing to help you, okay? Yes, I really appreciate it. And thank you for following four years. And keep listening to the radio show, okay? 
Yes, thank you so much, Vincent Davis. You have a blessed day. Thank you. For your case, that's a long time. Long time not to get your children back. It sounds like that um, she might might have gotten lucky in some respect. Uh, The children didn't sound like they had been adopted by anyone. But her niece, I think, has guardianship, uh, legal guardianship over the children. Uh, That means the niece is going to raise them until they're 18 uh, or until the mother goes back to court and files something to get the children back. I got a call just last night from San Diego, a woman um, who had lost her children to her parents, but the parents uh, took legal guardianship of them through the juvenile court. And apparently this woman has now told me that in the last two or three years, she's gotten her life back on track. She's doing everything great, and that the grandparents let her basically keep the children for extended periods of time while the grandparents go off. You know, they're retired now, and they're traveling. They leave the children with the mother. And every once in a while, you know, they have that disagreement about which way they're going to parent the children. And, of course, the grandparents always pull that, you know, guardianship card on her. So she told me that she was, uh, you know, had grown, grown tired of that and wanted to know if there was any way that she could get her children back out of guardianship. And, of course, there is. Uh, you can file what's called a petition to terminate the guardianship in the juvenile court, and the court will have to set a hearing, get a report from the social worker, you know, who hasn't been on the case for years because in guardianship they don't, you know, they don't see the, the children every month. They don't see the grandparents every month, and, you know, uh, so there'll be a report. And if the grandparents don't agree to it, there'll be, of course, or if the social worker doesn't agree agree to it, of course, there will be a trial down in the San Diego courthouse. I want to remind everyone about my uh, book, The Secret, How to Fight Child Protective Services and When. My executive producer wants me to tell you that you can get that on Amazon. But you can also get it for free if you call our office and just ask for it. We'll just mail it to you. We also have a DVD of a seminar that I have done about this whole juvenile court process. Call my office and we'll mail you one of those. Remember, my office number is 888-888-6582. And for those of you who want to send me an email, you can do so at v.davis at vincentwdavis.com. V.davis at vincentwdavis.com. I want to thank everyone for listening today. We, of course, are videotaping this, and my producer publishes that those videos. She cuts the show up into three or four segments and posts them on social media every week. So check us out on Facebook and Instagram as well. Again, thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week on the radio.